Hello, and welcome to the NVIDIA AI Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Kravitz. Our guest today is Luis Volok, Luis's CTO and co-founder at Immuni. Born out of the combination of machine learning and data science expertise and humanity's ongoing quest to fight cancer and better understand the immune system, Immuni was founded in late 2018 to address the vast need and possibilities in cancer precision medicine and research. Immuni is a life science company that leverages single-cell genomics data and AI technology to map the human immune system to develop new immunotherapeutics against cancer, autoimmune diseases, and others. The company has already built the largest immune-related database in the world and recently raised a Series B round of funding at a valuation of just over $1 billion. Luis Volak is here to talk about the future of machine learning and biology, and no doubt much more, so let's get right into it. Luis, welcome, and thanks for taking the time to join the NVIDIA AI podcast. Thanks for having me, Noah. So why don't we start, Luis, with you telling the audience a little bit about what Immuni does, and you can take that from any approach. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into all the angles here as we have time for. But tell us a little bit about the company. And so we started the company about three and a half years ago, and uh, we are headquartered in New York City with a large presence in Tel Aviv and, uh, and in Europe as well. And the focus of Immunad is to develop the next generation of immune modulators. So these are drugs that uh, work by mostly changing something about your immune system and making it better at uh, fighting disease. And at Immunad, the foundation of pieces that we had as a company is that we would be able to develop drugs for a wide variety of immune-related diseases, such as uh, cancer and uh, autoimmunity and many different kinds of autoimmunity by looking at many of these diseases at the same time and leveraging the similarities uh, between them to find the uh, treatments for, for each of them, as opposed to looking at each of them through uh, only the individual ends of the disease. Right. And, um, yeah. and we are about 140 people now, where the R&D is about half biologists and half uh, software developers, machine learning people, and computational biologists. So before I ask about the specifics of merging, um, kind of merging these fields of AI, machine learning, and biology, I want to back up a step. And, and if it's possible to do, I'm putting you on the spot here. It's a, in 60 seconds or less kind of question. But can you briefly describe for the uninitiated, myself included, what the process of studying disease and how the human immune system works and responds to threats uh, kind of what that process has been like and, and, and how perhaps immune, uh, excuse me, is approaching things, uh, you know, differently or just how that process has evolved over time. Yeah. So at Illini, the main advantage that we think we're bringing to the table at a technological level is the combination of what's called single cell genomics with machine learning. So I'll uh, double click on single cell genomics and what it means. Right. This is the ability to profile uh, an unlimited number of cells, which is limited only by costs, and understand their full heterogeneity in terms of RNA and proteins and so on, as opposed to the traditional sequencing methods, which rely on looking at averages across all cells and not getting results for individual cells. And as you can imagine, when you look at the results for individual cells, you can really understand the heterogeneity of what's there and all the very different kinds of cells and the rare kinds of cells and cells that are actually causing the diseases. And at Immunite, we're really like investing very heavily 
in the genomic technologies to generate that kind of data and on computational machine learning methods to mine that data for therapeutic targets. And so your background uh, that you brought to the company, you said about three and a half years ago when it was founded, your background is on the machine learning and data side? Exactly. My background is in machine learning and, and, um, and software like before that. And uh, so is my co-founder. So actually we are somewhat unusual founders for, uh, <laughs> for a biotech uh, company that neither one of us comes from you know, PhDs in, uh, in biology. Right. So that's my next question is, um, why start a biotech company? How, how was Immuni formed? Yeah, so Immuni uh, started with uh, Noam and I, my co-founder, uh, really like understood that biology was, uh, and this came from, you know, previous work experiences that, um, that we had. We understood that biology was the most interesting place for machine learning and that this was mostly unexplored yet. And very early on, we met with, uh, we became our scientific co-founders who were on faculty in Stanford and in NYU. And they very much helped sort of like, you know, shape the actual scientific vision of the company and helped like merge with like sort of like some of the technical vision that we had around how to manage this kind of data. That's the early days of the United. And so what have you learned about applying machine learning to biology broadly, but to helping to map the immune system. What are some of the things along the way that stuck out to you or even just for kind of milestone moments for the company uh, as you've grown over the past few years? Yeah. One of the uh, main lessons that we uh, had, which I think we knew from the beginning, but I think we didn't uh, fully appreciate it or we came, came to appreciate it much more as we grew, was around the importance of data quality. So one of the main decisions that we made early on in the company was that we wanted to become the world leaders, not just in analyzing this kind of data, yeah. but actually in generating uh, the kind of data that we, that we focus on, which is this single cell genomics data. And this meant you know, creating our own labs that have uh, you know, the best scientists in the world in these kinds of technologies. And I think one of the core differences from uh, doing machine learning with biological data with doing machine learning on you know, images or text is that the data is extremely noisy and that there are some sources of noise that are very tricky to handle. And uh, it really requires the people doing the analysis on the data to analyze the biological sources of, of that noise. And uh, by having the biologists and the machine learning folks work very closely together. It allows for quick iterations of data analysis with changes in the lab protocols that allows for the next set of data to have uh, like less bench effects, to have like less noise and to analyze it better. So it's like quick iterations of machine learning with experimental changes to improve data quality. And being able to do that fast was one of the main lessons that we had uh, early on and that we're still um, the uh, acting on. So how much of the work that Immunize doing is um, involves uh, synthetic data as opposed to, uh, I guess, biological data? So we really believe that synthetic data will be a big part of the future of, um, of, of computational methods with biological data. Uh, but right now we actually do not rely very okay. on synthetic data. So this is, um, and the main reason for that is because uh, I think we need still like much more data and much more understanding around like the biases in the data to be able to actually generate uh, trustworthy synthetic data. 
So you spoke a little bit about this at the top, but maybe uh, as much as you're able to, can you get in a bit to the actual process, how you're using uh, machine learning to map the immune system, uh, kind of what immunotherapy is and the role in, in finding and developing new therapeutics, and uh, just a little bit more about, uh, you know, kind of the the on-the-ground technical process of how you and your team are using AI and machine learning on kind of a day-to-day basis. So I'll give you uh, one example of um, sort of the core machine learning problem that is a total like game changer uh, in what we do. And uh, this is the problem of uh, annotating uh, cells into cell types and states. So uh, in the immune system, even in our like blood, there is like many dozens of uh, immune cell types. So if, for example, let's say that someone gives uh, like a little bit of blood, about like one milliliter, uh, there is going to be, mm, you know, on the order like millions of cells there. And uh, from those millions of cells, there's going to be like many dozens or possibly like on the low hundreds of the different cell types. Yeah. And the format of the data that we generate from these uh, blood cells, these immune blood cells, is uh, essentially a vector per cell of about, let's say, something like 50,000 dimensions, where these 50,000 dimensions, they include the gene expression of all the different genes and protein expressions for like many proteins and like chromatin accessibility and many others. And it's okay. not a particularly sparse vector. And the task there is to classify each row into what cell type or like cell states uh, that cell representing their, that's represented by the row is. And that this requires uh, manually labeling uh, the data before. So there's lots of immunologists that uh, we have in the company that are like labeling those cells according to their knowledge. And then we build the algorithms to actually classify them. those cell types automatically so that we can much bigger like scale and uh, with less human bias process. And have there been any particular advances, either, you know, in internal discoveries or even industry shifts? You know, we hear a lot about the advances in hardware over the past five years or so uh, being a big boost. But then more recently, the software side, if you will, the algorithm, the, the modeling, the technique side of ML has kind of caught up to the hardware boom over the past couple of years. Have, have you had a, a similar experience or what would you point to as kind of some of the things that really accelerated immunized work? I think it's a combination of uh, advancements in the, how data is generated in the lab in terms of genomics, uh, which enable us to generate data from many, tens of millions of cells uh, at, a, at a cost point, which is doable. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this is coupled with advancement with the actual advancements in, uh, in compute. And uh, that enables us to actually analyze this kind of data in a, like in reasonable time uh, as well. And the, uh, I think one of the challenges actually that we have is that there aren't many deep learning frameworks yet, which are made for the kind of data that is just like that we are like sure so pioneering like the scaling of. So uh, one of the things that we, we hope that we will do and definitely like many other academic groups will do as well are like deep learning frameworks that enable this kind of data to be analyzed that, um, uh, in a more species. So I want to shift gears for a second and ask about something that we we touched upon uh, a little bit in an earlier question, and and you brought up when we were talking uh, before starting to record the interview, which is kind of the unique spot that Immunize in bringing together 
uh, kind of a, a hybrid culture uh, of tech and machine learning people uh, like yourself originally starting a biotech company. And so sort of this hybrid culture of machine learning professionals and scientists. Um, how is that playing out? Has it been a challenge? Has it been you know, something unexpected? What, what is it like to uh, build a company with this kind of a hybrid culture from the ground up? First, we find this extremely exciting. So I think both for the founding team and the, the whole executive team, we are extremely curious people and we love science and we love technology and we love medicine. Essentially, we're creating a company in which almost everyone that's working there actually needs to understand all the different moving parts. So right. from the perspective of machine learning people, uh, in most companies in which great machine learning people work, you can, to a large extent, abstract a lot of details about the data and just focus on the model. Or if you don't abstract those details, you know, at least you can understand them fairly easily or well enough. When working with biological data, this is actually a big failure because there's so many biases in the data and you actually really need to understand what the, what the data that you're working with is. And we found that people that don't come with background in biology or with a huge desire to learn biology after joining us, actually it doesn't work out that well. One of the big uh, sort of, you know, challenges that we have is that in some sense, the recruiting pool for us you know, is even harder for deep learning people than it is for most companies, which is hard enough because it's a subset of people that you know, have uh, this twist toward biology. Right. But on the other hand, uh, you know, we have an advantage in that it, uh, you know, we're one of the few companies that's um, you know, really doing cutting edge machine learning work, but also the intersection of biology. So I think it is a need for truly understanding the biology and having this like very hard uh, activation energy for the problem is uh, something pretty unique about us. Is that something that you're able to foster internally with you know, internal learning opportunities or or other sorts of um, you know things you can do if if you have machine machine learning people as you mentioned who maybe don't have a background in biology but have the interest or curious want to learn? Can you kind of uh, foster that learning internally? Yeah, so we've spent a lot of energies with like training of people and teaching people immunology and teaching people about the genomics, like methods that we use in the lab, which essentially eventually leading to all the biases in the data. But I think that a big part of our philosophy is also, um, you know, I, I like this analogy from, uh, from my days in MIT, which people said that uh, going into MIT is like drinking uh, water from a fire hose. Yeah. And I think in Amy and I, we also have a bit of that in which we just, really throw people into the pool and have them learn stuff like very fast and have them working with the knowledge in the genomics. And I think a lot of the learning just happens on the, you know, on the day-to-day. Uh, right. Right. No, it makes sense. As you were speaking, I was thinking about how um, in my own life, I've sort of seen the, there is this rise of the age of experts where anything outside of your own domain, wh- whether in work or personal life, you know, you could go find an expert or, or a self-proclaimed expert to help you. And then the internet certainly has kind of, um, you know, open sourced a lot of knowledge, right? And so people can go learn things kind of on their own and and maybe don't need the experts or the experts instead of being one-on-one or are publishing and broadcasting to a bigger audience. But then listening to you talk about sort of that that dilemma you face in recruiting and and bringing these two worlds together, just made me think that, you know, maybe we're entering into this new age of kind of, um, I don't know, just people's capabilities and the expectations of workers just 
being elevated to the point where, great, you're a, you're a deep learning pro. You've got a great background. That's great. Now you need to learn all about immunology if you want to work at our company. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it, it's fascinating. Um, just the the amount of knowledge that that is accessible and and being created on a daily basis. Our guest today is Luis Volok. Luis is co-founder and CTO at Immuni, a company that is bringing together machine learning and biology to map the human immune system and leverage technology and science to find new therapeutics, develop new ways to battle cancer, other uh, immune system related diseases and issues and, and overall, overall increase human knowledge of how the human body works and how to develop and foster well-being. Um, Luis, there's a, a note I have that I want to ask you about. It's something I've never heard of before. Can you tell us a little bit about what an autonomous exploratory experiment is? Yeah. So we, you can think about uh, biological experience as a sequence of different steps. So in uh, at first, you need to define what the the model system that you're trying to um, to model in. So this can be an in vitro experiment or it can be a mouse experiment. So essentially defining what the experiment Okay. And the second step, you need to actually conduct the experiment. So this can be done either with uh, humans or with uh, robotics in, uh, in some cases. And on the third step, you need to, to actually analyze the data coming out of that experiment, which will then feed into the next step of the experiments. And the way that we uh, think about it is that um, the discovered potential for immunity will come from uh, how quickly we can iterate on experiments and do sequence of experiments as efficiently as possible. So when um, we talk about these uh, sort of sequence of experiments and refer to them as uh, you know, merging toward things that are more autonomous, is around having machine learning uh, strongly guide both the design of the experiments mm. as well as the analysis of the experiments. And uh, and the more that we can do that, we need sort of like less, we can assist the humans and the immunologists that are actually analyzing and designing the experiments as much as possible. So, really well. And, yeah. And I think the, uh, in Immuni, we, because from the get-go, we've been this uh, machine learning heavy company, uh, we've been able to instill a lot of practices in the company such that like whenever someone is planning an experiment, uh, actually they tend to collaborate with machine learning people like very like early on and not just mm-hmm. like after the fact. So uh, right, right, and that's proving effective. Yeah, we find this extremely effective. So and it's we find that the immunologists that are playing the experiments and save a lot of time because a lot of the experimental design is you know done in partnership with machine learning people, and we find that the machine learning people love being you know yeah. actually in the in this, you know, co-pilot seats for the, the whole discovery process. Right, right. Now, that's very cool. Um, you have a background previous to Immuni, uh, working at some other uh, machine learning companies. I'm wondering, um, moving into the scientific realm and, and a biology company, as we've talked about, what are some of the ethical considerations, ethical challenges that have arisen in your journey in Immuni that, that either you weren't, not even necessarily that you weren't expecting, but just things that have, um, you know, come up on the radar and perhaps stuck as uh, these big considerations to keep in mind as you go forward. That's a really interesting question. And I, so taking a step back, I think that the intersection of machine learning and biology will, is what's happening right now in industry is equivalent to the survey that internet in the 90s 
um, like kind of like impact. That there is like a lot of like amazing things happening. And I think many of the largest companies in the world in the next 30 years will be uh, companies at the intersection of machine learning and biology, just like right. the internet companies are the largest ones now. Right. And this inevitably will lead into ethical challenges, right? Just like uh, all the large internet companies have now. And one of the ones that we haven't had to deal with, you know, directly yet, but it's something that I think we might have to deal with in the next 10 years, is around how we think about animal experiments, for example. Mm. So typically in science, uh, animals are used fairly liberally to test specific hypotheses. Uh, and uh, right around like uh, how different pathways and genes work. And as a society as a whole, we find this to be ethical. And I think that's, uh, that's fine. One of the things that we start to think about a lot is that because of the large amounts of data that we can generate for, both from humans and from animals these days, and uh, some of these like cross-species and transfer learning. So, you know, being able to transfer learning from mouse to human or from monkey to human right. and so on. Uh, we might get into a mindset where we should just generate as much data as we can uh, about uh, mice and about monkeys, even without the specific scientific, you know, hypothesis that we're trying to test, just in the hopes that some of it will transfer. Right. He was in some interesting way. And I think this changing of a framework from testing specific hypotheses to um, essentially using animals as data uh, that then, you know, could be useful later is something that can lead to different uh, ethical challenges later. So I think to be clear, I don't think, you know, we or probably any other companies are right now in this mindset or facing these challenges. But I can, you know, very much see um, some tough conversations that, you know, inside companies and inside academic centers are needing to happen around, like, what is the fair line of uh, how much data uh, and what is and how many specific hypotheses you should have to before starting uh, animal experiments. No, that's, that's really interesting because we hear all the time, certainly on the podcast, we talk to people all the time talking about how, you know, data is the... The, the lifeblood of ML, right? And and the more data you have, and then the more quality data you have, the better your chances of of successful modeling and new discoveries and everything. So it, it makes perfect sense. Um, but in thinking about, all right, well, we can't willy-nilly experiment on humans without, you know, specific hypotheses just to gather all the data we can. But if we can transfer data from animals and and then all the ethical considerations that brings up, that's, that's, that's fascinating to think about. Um, is there a role, and I don't mean to sound like I'm obsessed with synthetic data, but for some reason in this conversation, is there a role perhaps in the future where synthetic data can play a bigger and bigger part and kind of alleviate the need to experiment as much on animals? I think so. I think there would be a big um, opportunity for synthetic data to, uh, to be able to uh... Augment, for example, like uh, data coming from uh, from animals so that we need maybe less uh, animal experiments. Uh, but I think for that there would need to be sort of a very intentional like investment and um, probably like a critical mass of high quality data coming from animals before we can get into this yeah. um, high quality synthetic data. But I think there is a big opportunity for that. So it's interesting. Immunai, as you mentioned, uh, founded late 2018, been around three three and a half or so years. And you just referenced, you know, kind of thinking about the industry, the 
bio, biology ML industry. Uh, to, I'm sure there's a more eloquent way to describe it, but to put it that way, as an industry that's early stage and poised to have a really significant impact on humanity writ large in, in the coming you know, 20, 30 years, and it makes a lot of sense to me. Given sort of the, the relatively short history of your company, but this broad view that you're taking, where do you see Immuni headed, um, even in the shorter term over the next, you know, two, three, five years, or expand it out if you want? What, what are you working on that you're at liberty to talk about publicly? And what do you see as kind of the, the big considerations, the, the milestones out in the future, the things that are really going to shape Immuni's future and, and the industry sort of on a larger scale? And we, the main goals for Immuni in the next five years are to, to actually develop drugs, you know, using these single cell genomics methods and machine learning methods uh, against like uh, several different diseases. So we'll make these diseases uh, public in the next, um, some of them in the next few months. So I, I can see the future dr- uh, job listings now wanted machine learning engineer must be facile in uh, uh pharmaceutical compounds and, you know, life sciences, preferably biology. It, it gets, the, the bar gets higher and higher as we go out. Yeah, exactly. And I think it will be a very exciting application for machine learning people. So I, I like to joke that right now, maybe from the top notch machine learning people, maybe like somewhere between one and 5% will go into biology uh, right now. And I think in the next 10 years, this number will go to like 30 or 40 percent. I think wow. more job descriptions like the, the ones you, right. you described. Right, right, right. Luis, there's a, a, a lot on your plate, obviously, a lot going on at Immuni that um, knock wood will benefit all of us greatly in the, the years and decades to come. Um, for folks who would like to learn more about what Immuni is doing now, uh, where are some places online that they can go learn more about the company, perhaps about the research, even about, uh, you know, your and your team's own backgrounds? Where, where should they look online? Yeah, on the press page on our website, we have uh, both blog posts that we've written to uh, talk about some of the cool technology and science that we're building, as well as scientific publications that we have. So uh, it's a great place for uh, take a look. Excellent. And that's just immuni.com. That's right. Excellent. Well, Luis, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's uh, a little bit of a uh, slightly different kind of show for us, only in that um, we're talking about what, what, as you've described it, it makes sense, is almost like a new field or a merging of two, you know, very prevalent fields in, uh, in industry and academics into a new field that may well shape uh, a lot of things to come in the coming years. So absolute pleasure to have you on and um, perhaps we can uh, get you back on the show and and do course to get an update on how things are going. I'd love to. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. 